Let's look to him and sing it. Then Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. All right, let me hear you now. Every voice. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, the Lord of all. We cry that out. Darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, we say, My anchor holds within the veil. Shout it out now! My anchor holds within. Now let's sing. Christ alone. Let me hear it today.
the Lord of all. Cry it out now. In Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong. Christ would be all-consuming, would fill up our lives with more of his love. As I rise, strength of God, go before, lift me up. As I wake, eyes of God, Look upon, be my sight. Let's make this a prayer together today. That Christ would be all-consuming. And as I and sustain, and as I hear the voice of God, Lord 
together be all-consuming Christ Jesus be all-consuming take over take over live in and through us in and through us listen that chorus Seeing today, church, in every eye. One last time, one last time.
Father, do it again. Do it again in our lives. In the places that feel like graves, would you turn them into gardens today? Would you bring life into dead places in us? The things that feel lost and dead and are decaying and that we look at and say, I don't even know how it's possible that this could be brought back to life. God, would you bring it back into flourishing? Would you turn it into a garden? Would you take our places of hurt and pain and disappointment, our places of doubt and fear and anxiety, our moments of loss, and would you somehow breathe the very breath of God back into it, that the bones of our lives might stand up and be filled with flesh and walk out in the name of Jesus proclaiming the gospel to the world? Oh, Jesus, would you make a way where it doesn't seem like there is one? Where we seem blocked by seas all around, would you turn them into highways? Bring your wind and blow back the waters. And let there be dry lands, a clear path for us to walk on. Oh, God, do it again. Do it again. You're the only one who can. We trust you today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said... Amen. Amen. You may be seated downtown. Wow. Okay. I don't think we need to preach or do anything else. We can just keep singing. Middle schoolers, we love you. Have a great time. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Everyone, can you wave to our middle schoolers? Tell them to have a great morning today. Hey, a couple times a year we get to do something really special and gather around parents and welcome newborns into uh, our family. We want to welcome Pierce and Lene and Nora and their family up here as we dedicate Nora today. One of the things that we firmly believe here at New Life Downtown is that uh, community of faith is meant to live like a family and that our lives are meant to be embedded with one another, that we are called to do life together and to come alongside and help one another. And there are moments when uh, the Lord adds to our number and we have new people who come to faith through Alpha, through other things, and we come alongside them and say, let us be your family, your extended family in Jesus, and let us show you the way to live. And there are others that are new to our family because they were just born. And then we get to spend a whole lifetime coming alongside and saying, let us show you the way of Jesus. Let's surround you with a community, with a family. We do that not just for Nora, but for parents as well. And so these moments are times that we do that, where we make commitment to God and to one another to live like extended family in Jesus. So we're going to start today by asking you, the members of New Life Downtown, a question. Then I'm going to turn to Pierce and Lene. Then we're going to proclaim the gospel over Nora and anoint her with oil. And then Pastor Catherine is going to pray for us this morning. But we'll start with you all, the members of New Life Downtown. Will you, as a church family, commit to surround Pierce and Lene and Nora with the love, grace, and truth of the body of Christ? Will you stand with them in prayer? Will you speak the truth in love into their lives? Will you serve them in humility and encourage them in the word of God? Will you receive Nora as a blessing from the Lord to be instructed, protected, and blessed in this fellowship of believers? If so, said by the grace of God, we will. By the grace of God, we will. All right, Pierce and Lene. I couldn't look at you yet because I'm going to start crying. Uh, we've gotten a chance to do um, a little bit of life with Pierce and Lene uh, over the years. If you guys don't know them, they're just 
Some of the most incredible people that I've ever gotten a chance to meet. They uh, serve our city in beautiful ways. Pierce teaches in one of our high schools. Lene has been a social worker and a counselor. And they volunteered in our student ministry for years and years and years. As we were fledgling along, you guys remained faithful. So thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to stand with you guys today. So <laughs> the church today receives Nora. Oh, man. Those eyes. Yeah. Hi. Okay. <laughs> oh, the church receives Nora with joy today. And we are trusting God for her growth in faith. And I ask you, will you pray for her? Will you draw her by your example into the community of faith and walk with her in the way of life, in the way of Christ? Will you care for her and help her to take her place within the life and worship of Christ's church. If so, say by the grace of God, we will. All right, so we're gonna anoint her with oil as a sign of the Holy Spirit already at work in her life and tell you the good news of Jesus, Nora. Yeah. So for you, Jesus came into the world. For you, he lived and he showed God's love. For you, he suffered the darkness of Calvary and cried out at the last that it is accomplished, that it is finished. For you, he triumphed over death and he rose to new life. For you, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. For you, he lives to intercede day after day after day after day forevermore. For you, he reigns at God's right hand. And all this, all this, he did for you. Though you do not know it yet, but we look forward, Nora, to the day when you know the height and depth and breadth of God's love for you revealed in Jesus. Church family, just stretch out your hands as we pray over them as Pastor Catherine leads us. Lord, thank you for Lene and Pierce. Thank you for calling them and anointing them as parents. And we just pray your great blessing and your power over their lives. Lord, I pray that you'll just fill them by the power of your Holy Spirit to speak truth, life, love over Nora. And God, as they grow in parenting, may they grow in your wisdom and grace and knowledge, and may they model what it looks like to live a life of faith. And Lord, fill their home with your presence. Will you be near to them in challenging times, helping them when they are feeling weak? God, give them, their, give them your strength. Lord, thank you so much for Nora. Thank you for her beautiful life. Thank you for her big eyes. And Lord, just thank you so much for the gift that she is to this family and to the friends here standing before us. Lord, I pray that in your timing, may she know you and have a personal relationship with you. And may she know all of the things that you have before her are good and that you love her. And God, I pray that she will live a life of faith in Christ Jesus and be a mighty warrior for your kingdom. And God, I pray for the church family as we come together this morning. We just are so thankful this, for this family here. We come together and we just rejoice. We rejoice with Lene and with Pierce. 
over Nora's life. And Lord, in hard times, may the church family come and surround this family with your grace and your love. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you rejoice with Pierce and Lene today? All right, so now we get to take those words that we just spoke and live them out together to say, hey, we've made these commitments. And there's two very practical ways to do that. One is if you're not volunteering somewhere in the church, you can say, hey, the way we surround one another as a community of love and grace and forgiveness is by serving one another, particularly in the kids and student ministry. So if you're looking for a place to get connected, please find our kids ministry team after service and say, hey, I, I wanna serve one Sunday a month coming alongside families in that way. The other way is that we care for one another and we worship and trust God by sharing what he has entrusted us with one another. So there are four ways to give today. You can give online or via the smartphone app. If you're giving online or via the app, please make sure you select New Life Downtown as the congregation that you're a part of, or you can give on, uh, through the boxes in the lobby, or if you're watching online, there's an address there on the screen to mail it in. Uh, now let's prepare our hearts to hear, to receive the word of God this morning. Thanks, Pastor Ken. Hello, my name is Laura. The Old Testament reading is found in 1 Kings 21, verses 1 through 3. Now it happened sometime later that Naboth from Jezreel had a vineyard in Jezreel that was next to the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. Ahab ordered Naboth, give me your vineyard so it can become my vegetable garden because it is right next to my palace. In exchange for it, I'll give you an even better vineyard. Or, if you prefer, I'll pay you the price in silver. Naboth responded to Ahab, Lord forbid that I give you my family inheritance. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is David. The New Testament reading is from 2 Corinthians 4, 14 through 15. We do this because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus, and he will bring us into his presence along with you. All these things are for your benefit. As grace increases to benefit more and more people, it will cause gratitude to increase, which results in God's glory. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Kay. Thank you for standing for the reading of the gospel. It's found in Matthew 19, verses 27 through 29. Then Peter replied, Look, we've left everything and followed you. What will we have? Jesus said to them, I assure you who have followed me that when everything is made new, when the human one sits on his magnificent throne, you also will sit on 12 thrones, overseeing the 12 tribes of Israel. And all who have left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, and farms because of my name 
will receive 100 times more and will inherit eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray this morning. And I want to take just a moment um, to pray for a portion of our city that's grieving today. It was one year ago today um, that the Club Q shooting happened uh, here in our city. So it's a day of remembrance and grief uh, for portions of our community that uh, suffered great tragedy um, that day. So we just want to pray that God would comfort those who are grieving today. Father, that is our prayer. That in the midst of... Um, darkness and loss and death and tragedy, um, when tears seem to be unending in our lives and we have moments where we remember um, what trauma and tragedy that we've experienced, that you would come rushing in with your grace, that you would be an ever-present help in times of trouble, and that you would be the one uh, who reveals yourself to be the great comforter. And for those of us that are walking through that in our own lives today, and that's exasperated maybe by the holidays and uh, having moments where our loneliness feels greater than in other seasons, would you uh, be present to us? Would you be with us? Would you surround us? Would you comfort us? And for all of us today, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would help us to know the way of Jesus and to live in the way that leads to life. In your name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you this morning. My name is Jason. I have the honor of serving as the lead pastor here. If you are new or newer, this is your first, second, third time. Welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Thanks for joining us in worship. And if there's anything that we can do to help you get connected or answer any of your questions, please come find us after service. If this is your home church, if you're a member of New Life Downtown, I commission you as hosts in this place. So if there's people around you that you've never met before, please make sure you introduce yourself after the service and help others in whatever way that you can. And hello to everyone that's watching online. We love you. We miss you and hope that you are doing well. Uh, and happy early Thanksgiving to everyone. It's Thanksgiving week. Uh, and I have been doing a little informal survey. So I thought I would just do it here um, with everyone as well, just to, you know, see where your humanity lies. Um, so pumpkin pie, or pecan pie, or pecan, if you're from the South. I got corrected by a Georgian earlier uh, this morning. So pumpkin pie, let's hear you. All right, and pecan pie, let's hear you. Wow. I, that was not expecting that. I thought you loved Jesus um, and therefore loved all things pumpkin. All right, let's try again. Gravy only on the mashed potatoes or gravy over everything? Uh, so mashed potato only people? Ah, <laughs> and gravy over all things. Yeah, there we go. That was better. Okay, now the real telling, you know, sort of question. How many of you have already decorated for Christmas? And how many of you refuse until after Thanksgiving is over? So pre-decorators, where are you? Wow, there are, some are loud and proud. Like, <laughs> And how many of you, it's like, no, it has to be Friday, even though it'll be, okay, there we go, there we go. Well done, those of you who eat pumpkin pie, put gravy on all things and wait until after Thanksgiving. The rest of you, you are in our prayers this morning. <laughs> 
Uh, we're concluding our series this morning in 1 Kings. We'll be in chapter 21. So if you brought a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, next week, we will have services on Sunday. It will be an all-generation service. So kids and students, young and old, uh, youthful and wise, all together worshiping. A uh, shortened service on Sunday, but we'd love to see you as we're all gathered together. Our youth pastor, Pastor Brock, will be preaching. And then the next week, we get to start Advent. So we have Advent and Christmas quick coming. Uh, for those of you who've been wondering, we are doing Christmas Eve services here. It is a Sunday, but we're going to keep our normal Christmas Eve times. So have services at 2 and at 4 on December 24th. All right, First Kings, we began this whole series uh, with the reign of Solomon. If you remember all the way back to early fall, David's son, Israel's third king. We spent weeks talking about the life of Solomon. Then we had a moment there in the middle where the story pivoted around the division of the kingdom into the north and the south, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And really this came about for a lot of reasons, but as the north went on its own way, they introduced syncretism, worshiping of other gods and worshiping in other ways and calling it Yahweh worship and the introduction of idolatry. And the end, the end of the book is really just a focus on the northern kingdom and all that happens is they follow in the way of Baal rather than in the way of God. God, and it really focuses these last few chapters on Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab, we're told, did more evil than anyone before him. He and his wife were the ones that went beyond just syncretism into full-out worship of other gods and took it even further and attempted to eliminate Yahweh worship from the land. In our modern Western sort of ideas, we tend to believe that religion is solely a private matter that has no public impact. But the scriptures do not ever separate belief and behavior. They hold those things together that who or what or how we worship shapes who or uh, and how we live, shapes who we become and how we live, how we interact with the world. And what we see in Ahab's story is that he did not love Yahweh and therefore he also did not love his neighbor. He did not love those that he was called to serve. In chapter 21, we see this is his literal neighbor in this story. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Now it happened sometime later that Naboth from Jezreel had a vineyard in Jezreel. And he was next to the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. This is probably another living place for Ahab. And Ahab ordered Naboth, give me your vineyard so it can become my vegetable garden. Because it is right next to my palace. And in exchange, I'll give you an even better vineyard. Or if you prefer, I'll pay you the price in silver. And Naboth responded to Ahab and said, God forbid... The Lord forbid, Yahweh forbid, that I give you my family inheritance. On the surface, this looks like a simple real estate deal. A simple real estate transaction. Ahab wants to build a vegetable garden next to his palace. He doesn't want to walk to the market anymore. He's tired of going out. He just wants it right next door. And Naboth seems to be the beneficiary of the most important three things in real estate. Location. Location, location. He owns the corner property downtown, the 20 acres in Black Forest, the land next to any body of water in Colorado. He's 
struck it rich because his land happens to be right next to the king's and the king wants it. And so Ahab makes him a generous offer. He says, hey, I really want this vineyard. I'll trade you an even better vineyard for it or I'll give you the value in silver of the better vineyard. But Naboth declines. He says, no. And he doesn't decline for economic reasons. He doesn't decline saying, no, I'm waiting for a better offer. I'm asking for, you know, the person from California to go above the asking price multiple times over. He doesn't decline for those reasons. He declines for theological ones. He says, God forbid. And specifically, God forbid that I give you my family inheritance. For Naboth, this is more than a vineyard. This land is, in biblical Hebrew, it's his nachalah. It is his family inheritance. It's a specific word that carries with it a world of meaning and significance. This isn't just a piece of property. It is so much more. But in order to understand that, we have to zoom out a little bit to sort of capture a greater view of sort of biblical theology. From beginning to end, the Bible is a story about God's kingdom. This is a story about King Jesus and God's kingdom and our place within it. And like every kingdom, there's some really basic basic components. For anything to be called a kingdom, there must be a monarch. There must be citizens, people who live under that monarch. There must be a land for those monarch, for those people to live in, for the monarch to rule. And there must be laws about how life is going to be governed. Apparently, castles and moats are optional inside of kingdom thinking. But every kingdom has to have a king, and people, and the land, and laws. And so God's kingdom is basically about God's people living in God's place, under God's rule, and in God's presence. The story of the kingdom is about God's people, us, living in God's place, his land, his worlds, under God's rule, under his reign, learning how to live as he guides and directs, and in his presence in relationship with him. When we think about that definition, place is an important lens for understanding the story. Place matters. The story of God's people follows along with transitions in space. It begins with the gift and the loss of Eden and continues with the gift and loss and return to the promised land. Even when we tell our stories, we often tell our biographies according to the place that we lived. I grew up in Iowa. I moved to Oklahoma for school. I moved to Kentucky for seminary. I moved back to Oklahoma before I was rescued and came to Colorado. Some of you tell this story very proudly and say, I am a native of Colorado. Others of you will say, well, I'm semi-native. I wasn't born here, but I might as well have been because I came when I was six months old or whatever it happens to be. For some of you, that narrative is like is massive. You think you grew up in a military family or maybe you serve in the military now and you can trace your biography from this place to this place to this place to this place. Some of you were born in Babylon. I mean, Texas. And then you were so graciously delivered to the land of Colorado. <laughs> but place matters. Place matters. It matters in our lives and it helps inform even our sense of identity and community and mission and connection. Israel understood this. Israel understood themselves to be people of the land. 
that they had been rescued from Egypt and brought out of that space and through the wilderness to repossess the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land that had been promised to them all along. This was God's place. This was God's land. And it had been entrusted to Israel. And with inside of that, not only entrusted to Israel as a whole, but as we look closely at the narratives of the Old Testament, that every single family was given a plot of land. They were apportioned a plot. This plot was to be their family inheritance, their nachalah, the inalienable hereditary property that would be their place to live and their place to work. It would be their home and it would be their farm. It would be how they would provide for their lives and the lives of those who came to be a part of their household. And it would be passed down from one generation to another to another. Maybe you have something like that in your family. Something that was your great, great, great grandmother's has been passed down all the way through the generations and now entrusted to you. And you might think about, oh, who do I get to pass this along to in the future? Israel understood that this was the way that they were called to live. But it all began with an understanding that this land is the Lord's. This is God's place. And it has been entrusted to us But it's the Lord's land and his law then should govern its use. His law should govern what we do with this because he has passed it down. He has entrusted it to us and my grandfather, my father, and now me. And then hopefully my kids will be the inheritance of this land. So according to Old Testament law, this land should never be sold. It should never be sold. Because it's been entrusted to the generations. And if it must be sold due to economic hardship, it can never be sold permanently. It can sort of just be leased to someone else. But it must be returned to the original owners in the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, all the land goes back to the family that it was originally given to. And if possible, before then, it should be bought back by the closest relative. That there's someone else that's related, they should buy the land back for that family. That it could be kept in trust for future generations. But even in that, not only should it not be sold, but the edges of the fields should not be harvested. Because the the land wasn't just for them, it was also for the stranger and the widow and the orphan, those who might need that they could come into the land and find their nourishment there. And a portion of the produce that the land produces every year should be given to the Levites. It should be given to others who do not have land, but instead lead the worshiping community. The land wasn't just for them, it was for everyone, but it was given in sacred trust for that family's benefit and for the benefit of others, including future generations and the vulnerable, and the dependent. So from Nabus' theological perspective, from his conviction, God had graciously entrusted him with this vineyard, just as he entrusted it to his father and his grandfather before him. It was his to care for. It was his to protect. It was his to cultivate. It was his to share. It was his to pass on. It was his little Eden and it's his perspective was the foundation of what we call stewardship. And in our understanding, it extends beyond the land to all of life. It's a way of living that recognizes that everything that we have, God has entrusted to us. Everything that we have, God has entrusted to us. All is God's. All is gift. All is grace. 
This is the story that Naboth is living out of, but Ahab and Jezebel, they're living out of a completely different story, living out of a different theology. Ahab asked Naboth to give him something that wasn't his to give. And Ahab wanted to turn the vineyard into a vegetable garden, which seems instant enough at the, you know, at the front end. It's like, oh, maybe Ahab's just really wanting to start to eat clean. You know, he's wanting to increase his greens in his life. And, you know, this seems like the best place to do it. But interestingly, that phrase, vegetable garden, occurs only one other place in the entire Hebrew Bible. It's a word that's used to describe the land of Egypt. We get a hint in the language about what Ahab is really about. Ahab and Jezebel throughout their entire reign are trying to turn the promised land into a land of oppression. Trying to take the land that has been gifted to them and trusted to them by God and make it something else that looks more like Egypt than it does like Israel. And when he's turned down, Ahab throws a full-blown tantrum. He refuses to leave his room and to come down for dinner. Some of you experienced this last night. Like this is your story with your three-year-old or your 11-year-old or, you know, maybe somebody else in your family. Maybe you were the one throwing the tantrum because there were too many greens and not enough things from the vineyard on the table. There's something that's going on. He throws this huge tantrum. And then Jezebel's wife comes up to him and says to him this. He says, aren't you the one who rules Israel? Aren't you in charge? Aren't you the king? Get up. Get out of bed. Eat some food and cheer up. And I'll get that vineyard for you myself. See, Jezebel believed that the land was Ahab's divine right as the king. And Ahab believed it too. And she concocted a sinister scheme to have two witnesses come forward and falsely accuse Naboth of cursing God and the king. As a result, Naboth was stoned to death And Ahab and Jezebel took the vineyard. The story echoes David's taking of Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah. There's so many similarities here. But their theological conviction, the story that they were living out of, was the land is simply a commodity. And they had the right to claim it. The land is a commodity just like everything else. And they will do whatever it takes to possess it. And this extends beyond actually just the land, but to all of life. There's an alternative way of living that doesn't see everything as grace, but it sees everything that we have as something that we are entitled to possess. That we have earned it, that we deserve it, that we're owed it, that we had to fight to get it, we have to fight to keep it. Cue the, you know, beastie boys at this point right now. It's we got to fight for our right to this thing and to that thing and to every other thing because it's ours and it is for us and we are owed it and anything that we want, we can have. And once we have taken possession, we can decide what to do with it. It's a way of living that says everything is ours and our laws govern its use. Rather than all is God's and all is grace and all is gift, this alternative storyline says all is ours, all is commodity to claim, and we have to fight to get whatever we want. We have to fight to get what's ours. And the question that the story begs us to ask is how do we see the world? How do we see our lives? If we see the world like Ahab, that we ought to get what's mine, then our response to life, our default position or posture in life is to take, is to grasp, 
It's the very same thing that Adam and Eve are doing in the garden. They are taking, they are grasping what is not theirs. But the default position becomes to live with closed fists, grasping and withholding, constantly calculating in every relationship and in every decision, what can we gain from this interaction? How do we get more and more and more what's mine and mine and mine and mine? Interestingly, in 1 Kings chapter 21, the word sell only occurs twice. It's a whole business transaction and real estate deal, and the word sell only occurs twice in the narrative. The first time it happens, God sends Elijah to confront Ahab after he has murdered Naboth and taken his vineyard. And Ahab said to Elijah at this point, he says, So you found me, my old enemy. Elijah says, I did find you. Because you've enslaved yourself, you have sold yourself by doing evil in the Lord's eyes. A few verses later, the narrator says this. It says, truly, there has never been anyone like Ahab who sold out, who sold himself, same word, by doing evil in the Lord's eyes. Evil that his wife Jezebel led him to do. See, Ahab saw everything as a commodity, to be bought and sold and controlled, to be claimed and to be taken and to be fought for and to be fought to keep. And along the way, he sold himself. He became a commodity. He lost himself in his attempts to acquire. And how often have we done something similar? How often do we sell ourselves in pursuit of something that we believe that we need or that we want, that we have to take or that we have to gain in order to find what it is that we're really looking for in this life? How many times have we went after something hoping that would enrich us and emptied ourselves in the process? How many times have we gone looking for love or belonging or purpose or significance or joy or something else and we thought we could find it in a promotion, an upgrade, a hookup or a high? And we found that it left us just wanting. We sold ourselves to get something that couldn't deliver. How often are we trying to gain something that can only be given? We cannot gain these things for ourselves, but these things can only be given to us by God. Because all is God's and all is grace and all is gift. There is another way to live. There is a way of life that's presented to us by Naboth that sees a world this way and our response in seeing the world through these lenses is not to take, not to grasp, not to withhold, but to receive and to give thanks. Paul said in our New Testament reading that as grace increases, so does gratitude. So does thanksgiving. Karl Barth, the famous Swiss theologian, put it this way. He said, grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice of an echo. And gratitude follows grace like thunder lightning. There is another way to live where gift becomes gratitude and gratitude becomes gift as it leads us into a life of generosity where we are generous in spirit, generous with our time, generous with our resources, generous in our presence with other people, generous in our judgments toward others. Not to say that we don't live our lives with, exercise, with the exercise of wisdom or boundaries or with hard work, but when we see all of life as a gift, we can learn to live with open hands. 
We can learn to receive everything as grace. We can learn to steward everything as gift and to share everything as God leads. And even as we heard in our gospel reading, to give everything away to follow Jesus, knowing that there'll be more abundance with him than we could ever have possibly imagined. And when we think about our lives, when we think about the things that we have, we think about our friends and our marriages and our singleness, our children and our resources and our jobs and our skills and our abilities and our opportunities, maybe in the place that we live. Do we see these things as gifts? Do we see the grace of God and what he has given and entrusted to us? And that doesn't mean that those things aren't hard. Grace is often very refining on our souls. Sometimes God's grace shows up to us in the most unexpected of ways. And it doesn't mean that sometimes there aren't necessary endings that happen in our lives. But it does mean that the posture of the people of God is this. The posture of the people of God is a receptivity to the grace of God. A receptivity to say all is God's and all is grace and all is gift. And we practice this posture every week when we come to the table. When we come to this table of the Lord, we come empty-handed and open-handed. We don't bring anything to the table. We're not, this is not a potluck where we're bringing our own things saying like, hey, Jesus, look at the pecan pie that I made for you. No, we're coming open-handed. We bring our vulnerable selves in order to receive all that God has given to us, all of his grace. As Evan and the worship team come forward and we get ready to come to the table today, maybe we come with this posture in us, a posture that realizes that all is God's and all is gift and all is grace. And may his grace evoke gratitude in us like the voice of an echo. May gratitude follow his grace in our lives like thunder, lightning. May we come to this table to receive and to give thanks to the one who truly is worthy of all of our thanksgiving. To give thanks to the God who gives everything, including himself, to us. His good gifts, his grace poured out, and we come again open-handed to receive. This is Jesus' table, and all who believe that Jesus is the true king of the world are welcome to receive today this generous gift given to us of himself. Regardless of your church background or affiliation, if this doesn't describe where you're at, though, thank you for coming, for being part of this space this morning. We're honored that you're here. We encourage you, keep coming back. Keep asking questions about Jesus and who he is. But if today something in the worship, the word, the message, the prayers today have stirred in you a desire, you're ready to begin following Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time, we invite you to join with us and confess your sins and ask for forgiveness and trust him again for his salvation. The words of confession will come up on the screen. Let's declare them together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry 
and we humbly repent. But for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Beloved, it is my joy this morning to announce good news to you. Words that are true, not because I say them, but because of what God has done. So would you open up your hands and again and receive the mercy of God. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. And this proves God's love toward us. That in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. As those who have been raised to new life with Jesus, would you stand together now celebrating this new life and greet those around you, sharing the peace you have with your brothers and sisters next to you. We declare this to be true, that Jesus is here. So lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is right. All around the room, let's do that now. Thank you for your generosity, for your grace, for your mercy, your goodness, your kindness. Thank you. It is a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty. You, the creator, are the one who formed us in your image. And you breathed your life into us. And when our love failed, your love remains steadfast. When we've been unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful on our behalf. We remember that in these words, that on the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. When he had blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of Christ's mighty acts, we proclaim together this mystery of faith, that Christ has died that Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. The table is a place of encounter and remembrance. So we sing together this morning again a prayer asking the Holy Spirit to meet us here.
over these gifts of bread and wine. I want to invite the servers to come on up. These are the gifts of God given for us, the people of God. Take them and receive them in remembrance that Christ has died for you and feast on him by faith and with thanksgiving. If this is your first time here, you can watch those around you of how we do a processional flow of communion or you can scan the QR code that's on the screen. If you're unable to come forward, just ask someone around you to grab the elements and bring them back to you. This is our response of worship to God's great grace, his great gifts to us. Let us come now again to this table to receive. So much more 
Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. sins they are many his mercy is more our sins they are many his mercy is more our sins they are many his mercy Teach me to abide. 
our voices you're the way let me hear you sing it you're the way the truth and the life that never runs dry I'm the branch and you are the vine draw me close sing be my strength be my strength my song in the So draw me close, teach me to abide. Yes, Lord. And praise God from whom all blessings Come on. <laughs> I just, I don't know if it's in you. I feel in me, just the, the response to that message, it feels like there's such this, it's kind of like this pregnant praise that's just like welling up. So I want us to just take 60 seconds right now. I want you to start thinking through, if you haven't responded in this way already through communion time, 
all of the gifts and all of the graces that are present in your life. And I want us just to select, let that swell up. Let that pregnant praise just kind of well up. And I want us to go out in this place and praise and gratitude and thanksgiving into this Thanksgiving week. So just 30 seconds right now, just start praising and naming to the Lord all the graces and all the gifts and all the goodness and his mercies and his provision, all the ways he's provided and he's met us when we've needed it. Oh. Come on, let it well, let it well, let it well. We praise you, Lord, because you are worthy. We praise you because you are kind. We praise you for your great salvation. We praise you that you find the things that are lost and find us. We praise you, God. And all that grace and all that gratitude that flows from that place. If there's anything you're carrying today, that communion team turns into the prayer team right now. They're here for you as long as you need up front. And as you go, we send you with this blessing, not just to release you from this space, but to send you by the power of the Spirit out into the world that so desperately needs the light that you carry in Jesus to it. So would you open up your hands to receive this blessing today? That God has graced and gifted you in your life. Not to hold it, because the Christian gift is not to consume for ourselves, but to go and turn around and be generous with others. So that this week, I pray a blessing over you that you would have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that understands what God has so graciously and generously lavished on you and that you would not seek to hold it and hoard it, but you would turn and you would give it away. That those who are lonely, you would see them and invite them in. That those who have need, that you would see them and be the provision of God in their lives. That those who need to be heard, you would have an ear to listen to them that those who need compassion, you would have a heart to love on them. That this week, New Life Downtown, we would go out as gifts that others would say the gratitude of the Lord be praised because he has gifted me through us as a church body. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you to continually turn to you and the person of Jesus and grant you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, church, you are the salt and the light. So go with the power of the Spirit as carriers of his presence to build his kingdom, to stay salty and to shine brightly. Love you, love you, love you. We'll see you around town. And next week, you are sent. Amen? Amen. Amen. One more praise. Come on. Yes!